0: Welcome to Delegate. I'm Cameron O'Donnell, a DAO governance strategist. And I'm Lawrence Smith, a DeFi and DAO token builder. Powered by Boardroom. For this week's news recap, we're getting our information from the boardroom.io newsletter. Every week, they put out some of the top information, the latest and greatest around governance proposals. Make sure that you are signed up and tuning in. And also, we are proudly sponsored by Boardroom. You can catch their newsletter and how to sign up in the show notes.
1: Cool. Hey, Cam, how's it going? Lawrence, good, good. How are you doing? I am great as always. Thank you. I'm really excited to dive into some of these because I think some crazy stuff's been happening on the proposal front the last few weeks. So from my end, and we'll get deep into this in a moment, we've got the Make MakerDAO and its die savings rate. We've got the Tornado Cash governance attack and effective hack off the back of that. And we've got the Uniswap V3 deployment to Phantom. Yeah, from a Uniswap front, we had two deployments pass a
0: temperature check, TBD on when that on-chain vote will actually occur. And we'll talk a little bit about that. As well as we had the Uniswap Foundation announce a public grants RFC program with their 4 million arb up for grabs. And so, we'll lightly go through some of the things that we've seen so far and also where we hope that program goes into the future. And then on an ave front, just one really cool thing that we definitely want to highlight is a temp check that went up ave flipside proposal. So, in this proposal, flipside is requesting 125k over 6 months for a contributor roll. So we're gonna talk a little bit about that. That comes from Fig over at Flipside.
1: Awesome. Let's dive in. As I mentioned, first on my radar is the MakerDAO looking to increase its die savings rate. And this goes from one percent to three point three percent, so more than tripling its current return. For those who aren't very familiar with the die savings rate, it's effectively the returns that Maker will give you on any die that you have with them. And so obviously a one percent return on that. It's okay. 3.3%, much more attractive and pretty competitive. So this has, in my opinion, some pretty widespread implications. Let's go through it. So a core developer team at MakerDAO put forward this proposal to raise the savings rate due to the current interest rate environment in the US. And that's off the back of the Federal Reserve looking to combat the inflation and increasing the, the yields on Treasury bills and I think it's currently a yield on a three-month U.S. Treasury bill is about 5.29% at the moment, so incredibly high as they look to battle inflation. The way that the DAI savings rate works is that it can be adjusted to deal with any short-term changes in market conditions of the DAI economy. And this is pretty justified in that they're going to be able to get this 5.29% returns on any Treasury bills, and so they're going to pass that across to DAI and give it increased yields for any die holders on Maker. There are quite a few different takeaways for different players in the ecosystem off the back of this, which are really interesting. So for lending protocols, so Aave or Compound, they can start using their idle die deposits to increase yield and reduce the sort of the borrow-lend spread. But I think also really importantly here is that the competition for stablecoin returns has now gone up at the moment. It's around 2 to 2.5% at Compound and Aave. But it means that the borrow rates are going to have to go up across the entire ecosystem as the returns are going to be much higher just for the for lenders and therefore the borrowing is going to have to be going up proportionally to that and so we expect that to go probably to around the 4.5% level as well. So that's the big takeaway for the lending protocols but it also impacts bridges as well. So escrow die that's held in any bridges can then be used to grow revenue for those bridges so this is really positive for bridges and any die that they've got held in escrow DeFi treasuries as well, a lot of those holding DAI can now start leveraging that to increase their revenues as well. And just generally, if the users a 3.33% return, it's pretty good. It's much better than you're getting your average banking institution returns, and it's also much better than you'd get in a lot of other lending platforms typically. So I think pretty positive for this not so great for borrowers. The
0: DAI savings rate often looked at as a fundamental piece of the DeFi ecosystem. And so increasing this DAI savings rate to 3.33% should have a pretty large impact on almost all rates across, again, the DeFi ecosystem. If you think about where a lot of these yields come from, the large players maker of a They play a huge role in that. We even had a call out about a week ago from Monet Supply on Twitter. Big parameter update just dropped at Maker. DAI savings rate to increase 3.33%. This could have a big tailwind on the entire DeFi ecosystem. We'll link that in the show notes as he walks through some of those potential impacts.
1: Yeah, 100%. And I think that's just what we were leading to before with the borrow rates going up. And I think Maker, being such a big institution has such adverse impacts across the whole of the industry, which is, it's really interesting to see so much power concentrated in just one protocol.
0: They really are like a federal reserve, if you Mm -hmm. think about it. So it'll be really interesting to monitor the impacts to the DeFi ecosystem from this to just understand again that influence.
1: For sure. Um, Anyway, on to the next one, Cam. What have you got on the... Uh, Ave radar
0: yeah so on the aave front we're just going to cover one thing here for this update and this is again around that Ave flip side proposal where flip side is requesting to become a contributor and so flip side they are big time contributors over at aave for quite some time now now they're looking to test out this contributorship for six months and again addressing those problems of coordination among contributors education, and path towards engaging more users, how to drive and introduce third-party organizations, and one of their specialties, data availability and open-source tooling. And so their proposal is absolutely fascinating as it breaks down the current state of Ave and all of the external contributors that Ave engages. This includes Sigma Prime, Gauntlet, Chaos Labs, Llama, and more. Further expanding that, Aave is actually operating almost as a living organism, and as it expands, it needs to expand what it classifies as a contributor, as well. So, what's what are they trying to achieve here? A more efficient DAO, right? It's time to level up the DAO's operational efficiencies, as Fix said. And look, one way that I really like to look at this, this is a shining example of how to go from a participant to a contributor at a large scale. They've spent over a year it, as Ave grants reviewers. I believe they were like the first or second delegate at Ave, according to the Post. And so they've had countless proposals, right? They've worked on countless partnerships and various different deployments. They're just absolutely at the top of their game over at Ave.
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting angle where the delegates, it makes a lot of sense for them to act as contributors within these protocols as well, from one side of things, just because they're so ingrained and up to date with everything that's going on. And they're actually in a very good position to put forward changes that would be really impactful for the protocol. The, I guess the objection towards that would be that they then they themselves have power over voting for those proposals. And so I think it's really the approach that these delegates take, acting quite honourably in not voting for themselves or abstaining from self-serving proposals, is best practice here. And so, as long as they're doing that, I've got no problem with it. And I think it's a really positive thing to see these people who are acting as delegates start to get more involved in a contributor role. Uh, and flip side, great as well. Yeah. I'd love to see them getting involved.
0: Yeah, a- absolutely. I'm also excited for them to further, I think, define throughout this process is is contributors versus delegates versus ave core members and governance members versus token holders and you know they did a wonderful job in this proposal mapping out if ave was a living organism where all of these pieces fit into place and where their contributions have been and it's been across the entire spectrum they're not just showing up and making votes they're not just contributing to one facet of this ecosystem They've really turned up for the broader protocol over the past few years. And so, again, just, I think, a fascinating course of action here. So, Lawrence, I think what we'll do
1: now is we'll
0: chat a little bit about uni. I got some on my side, but if Mm -hmm. you want to kick us off with upcoming votes, and then I'll talk about some prior.
1: Yeah, perfect. And I think both of the votes that we're going to speak about here are pretty related, keeps us along the same train of thought, which is good. So, Uniswap v3 deployment to Phantom. That is the number one thing on my Uniswap radar. This proposal is pretty much looking to do what it says in the tin. It's to get Uniswap v3 on the Phantom blockchain. And so, this is done in collaboration with the blockchain group at Columbia, Phantom, obviously, and Axelar. So, Axelar is a cross chain communication network. This kind of makes sense in the sense that Phantom is a Low transaction cost, pretty scalable, EVM compatible chain. And so it's got all the setup and sort of the attributes that you'd want for one of the biggest Xs in the space to get involved with. And the opportunity here is pretty big for Uniswap. And so it's around 30 to 40 million dollars in weekly trading volume is what's being forecast, although obviously forecasts can't always be trusted. And I think this is quite interesting from my perspective for a few reasons. And so when like other chains spring up whether that be an L2 or another blockchain altogether they typically aren't that bothered at least in my experience in bringing across sort of big players like Uniswap and the reason here is that Uniswap v3 is open source anyone can fork it and create it on the new chain but the big challenge that you get with DEXs and bringing them onto new chains is liquidity and so you've got to bring all of that liquidity and that's actually pretty expensive to get onto these DEXs. It actually tends to be easier to bring on a copycat deck so someone has just forked Uniswap and brought it on to these new chains and the reason being is that they've not released a token. Uniswap has released a token, it's not going to start pumping out a bunch of token rewards but when these copycat decks spring up they're able to attract a lot of liquidity by offering token rewards on anyone providing liquidity to their decks and so they're actually able to do it in a relatively cheaper way compared to Uniswap being able to do it. I think, though, that from a Phantom perspective and from a Uniswap perspective, there's probably two big motives for this. Firstly, Phantom's a pretty established chain now, and so Uniswap see this as a bit more of a sustainable and a sure thing, I guess, with with deploying on Phantom. And also, I think it's important to recognize that Phantom's probably really keen on it because they want some of the big-name DeFi players to be on the chain, and they also want to protect their customers from any copycats that might actually be malicious and Framing themselves as a Uniswap competitor, when in reality, they've they've got ulterior motives. I see the logic for Phantom. I see the logic for Uniswap doing this. I think the liquidity will be a challenge, and I would expect some copycat DEXs, forking, Uniswap to to also steal some of that market share. Phantom doing some really
0: cool stuff in this space. Excited to see where that goes. Lawrence, I actually, I spent a ton of time in the last bull run on Phantom. That's probably Uh, a majority of my time, actually, just jumping from protocol to protocol. But listen, while we're talking about Uniswap V3, Hayden actually tweeted out yesterday a tweet with four unicorn emojis. Four. Now, speculation Mm. going across like wildfire, obviously, but we have to assume he is talking about or hinting towards Uniswap V4. And so that raises some questions within the general community because Uniswap was also working on pushing forward new opcodes within the Ethereum updates. And so, super excited to see where that goes and maybe if they're going to be dropping some information on Uniswap v4 potentially. But keep your eyes out because we have no idea what it's going to include. And so, super excited to finally hear about Uniswap v4 there.
1: Yeah, that's great, Alpha. I had missed out on that tweet. It's always good good. to know.
0: Yeah, it's good. And listen, you have to check the replies, man. You have to check the replies. (laughs) They're so good. So look, while we're on the deployment scale as well, we have a Filecoin virtual machine, our boys over at Protocol Labs. uh, That was brought by Michigan. So check that out. Be on the lookout for that snapshot. I would expect to see that relatively soon, but definitely a big deal. So, also previously at Uniswap here, we had two votes for deployments pass. We had Base pass with 100% yes votes, and we had Linea pass with 100% yes votes. Base obviously coming out of Coinbase and Linea coming out of Consensus. Hidden amongst these deployments were polls around the fee switch. GFX Labs had three polls up, making protocol fees operational what assets should be held in the treasury, making protocol fees operational, initial deployment chain. So where would you actually implement the fee switch? And making protocol fees operational, fee options for V3. Now, all of these polls had tremendous participation with USDC winning what asset to be held in the treasury, with Polygon winning the initial deployment chain, and in making protocol fees operational, the fee options for uni v3, this was a close one. The no fee option had 18 million uni at 45%. The one fifth option had 17 million uni. The one tenth option had 5 million uni. And so what I see when I look at a poll like this, because again, this was not a temperature check. These were just polls. What I see is 22 million uni for and 18 million uni against. Now, we certainly don't have a position on the fee switch from this show and from a professional capacity, but it's very interesting to keep your eye on. It's very interesting to keep your eye on all of the alpha coming out of the Uniswap governance snapshots.
1: For sure. And I don't have an official opinion, but I've got an unofficial opinion that. I'll I'll divulge here. And that's just that, like, the Uniswap, I think, the Uniswap fee switch, and just fee switches generally, I think are a pretty powerful mechanism for token hoarders. Like, people are interested in that, obviously they want to be rewarded for hoarding tokens, but it just screams attention from the SEC and I think we need to be really careful with any of these fee switches and I think that's what a lot of the top protocols are being. They realise that it could do great things for their token value, but it could also get them in a lot of trouble. So I expect we'll see a lot of caution on this one, and I think the protocols that go for the fee switch won't be the most established ones, at least in the first instance.
0: The last item here around Uniswap sits on the Uniswap Foundation's call to action around Arbitrum grants using the $4 plus ARB received by the DAO. So, with On the Forum, actually, the Uniswap Foundation outlined very light guidelines and they have received more than 10 proposals. A majority of those proposals being around liquidity mining and incentives, with one proposal being around forming an official working group. That one we're keeping our eyes on closely as it is definitely something very interesting. Just to highlight some of the names who have produced proposals, Gamma Strategies. Alistair, FlashStake, Gauntlet, OX Plasma Labs, and OpenBlock Labs. So definitely keep your eyes on that moving forward. I would love to see a little bit more structure and oversight within that actual grants requests. And I believe the community is actually forming around that right now. But super exciting to see this level of engagement
1: throughout the Uniswap community. Cool. Thank you for that, Cam. And I will finish this off now with one of the craziest stories in the space at the moment, which is the Tornado Cash governance attack, which you may or may not have heard of. So, effectively, a couple of weeks ago now, a hacker included malicious code in a Tornado Cash governance proposal. So, Tornado Cash was effectively the protocol where you can go and send your tokens and it will mix them up and send them back to you. So you've got a bit more privacy as to where your tokens have been. And it's pretty much just washing all of your cash. Anyway, the way that this went down is that this hacker two weeks ago put forward a proposal in Tornado Cash, and the proposal was for changing the stake requirement for someone to be a Tornado Cash relayer. What people didn't realize was the proposal actually had a self-destruct function that replaced the original proposal with a new one. This new one was actually a malicious contract that allowed the hacker to take control of all 1.2 million votes in the governance vault, and it made them pretty much the de facto controller of all governance on Tornado Cash. So any proposals that then came forward saying, oh no, give back what you've done, let's reverse reverse that proposal didn't have any effect because he had enough tokens to be able to completely control any proposals that were coming through. What happened after he'd taken those 1.2 million votes? The hacker stole about $1 million in crypto from the protocol, used the mixers to disguise the origins of the coins, and then the hacker, interestingly, posted a new proposal that set their voting power to zero. They wanted some money and they got away with it, but they've not taken complete control of Tornado Cash, although there are arguments that the hacker did this in the first place to boost the price of the torn token so that they could then dump those tokens on the open market. Anyway, I think the real takeaways here are that it really highlights the importance of getting proposal security audits and DAOs also need to be really engaged with the reviewing of proposals and the participation from holders because on-chain proposals, though they're digital, they're definitely real. They have real consequences and They need to be taken very seriously and managed correctly. And I think this just serves as a word of warning for DAO governance generally. Make sure you're doing your audits. Make sure you're checking the proposals and that we're not getting lazy with this because it is still an area very open to manipulation if not done carefully. And I think that's us for today. Cam, great chatting as always. I'll chat to you soon. Keeping up with
0: the latest and greatest on these platforms with all their governance activity, super important. You can catch these episodes every two weeks where we'll highlight some of the main things that have occurred. Thank you to Boardroom for sponsoring this episode.